Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Hello, Chicago Tabernacle family. I'm Pastor Jim Cimbala. In case you didn't know it, I'm the father-in-law of your pastor, Al Toledo, and his pretty wife. Isn't she pretty? That's my daughter. That's my Chrissy, the oldest of my three children. And it's a joy and an honor to be invited by Pastor Al and the staff there to be your speaker this morning. So this is a sermon just for you. And it's part of the series that leadership is doing about the kind of mission statement of your church and the component parts of being all that God wants your church to be as I want the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City to be. But what is a church? It's the reflection of the members of the church. Uh, a church can't be better than the people who are in the church. A baseball team can't be better than the players that are playing on the baseball team, and so on and so forth. So this is very important. It's an honor to possibly help you hear from the Word of God on this very important component of the Christian faith, Christian walk, which is Pursuing God, seeking God, prayer, asking, receiving, call it what you will. I want to tackle it from one aspect. Now, there's books on prayer in my library that are three to 500 pages long because prayer is such an all-encompassing subject from Scripture. So I just want to take um, a one approach, a snapshot of what God intends prayer to be in our lives. And I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews. I'm reading two little verses that you should know and learn by heart. Uh, Hebrews 11, first chap uh, chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that's chapter 11, verse 6. And that is the famous faith chapter. And what the Bible here is saying, something very interesting, the unknown author, it's not agreed upon who wrote Hebrews. The author is pointing out in this chapter all the great men and women of faith from the Old Testament and the importance of faith. But here he alludes to the fact that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe and know and trust that he exists. But more than that, that he rewards those who earnestly, diligently seek him. Now this refers back really to the beginning of the Bible, where the Bible says that at the end of chapter 4 in Genesis, some instinct went off in people's minds and hearts where they began, for the first time recorded, they began to call on the name of the Lord. That he was creator, they had an awareness of. I mean, what was everything around them? Where did it come from? Something cannot come from nothing. So there was a creator 
but maybe there was a creator who just started everything off, like the deists in, in France in the 15, 16, 1700s, who believed there was a God, but he was remote, he was not personal. He just set the clock going, tick-tock, tick-tock, and he stepped back, aloof, distant, and not involved in our lives. But early on here, way before that, there came an instinct that this God who created was also interested, and you could call on him. Listen, he was not only living, but he would respond to the requests of the creation that he made and loved so dearly. So men began to call, and women, on the name of the Lord. They began to ask him for help, implore his aid. Cry out to him, the word means. Call on his name. Trust in his personality of goodness and love and now draw from that the things they needed in their life from an omnipotent, all-powerful God. This was uh, uh, more important than the, the invention of the wheel or the discovery of fire. Men began and women began to call on the name of the Lord. And then if you follow through that in the Old Testament, you find out that's what the people who belonged to God were actually called and identified by. The marker was they called on the name of the Lord. They called. They beseeched God to help them. That word also began to mean to praise, to extol, to celebrate. So we have two important things, don't we, in our walk with God. Calling on him with requests and petitions, trusting him for answers, along with praising him for who he is and also what he's done. Well, before anyone was called a Jew or a Hebrew, before we know about Abraham, the people who belonged to God were those who called on the name of the Lord. In fact, you could be a Jew or in the New Testament, go to a church and call yourself a Christian, but if you didn't call upon the name of the Lord, you could really get nowhere because he's rich in mercy, the Bible says, to everyone who calls upon him. Who is he rich in mercy to? Not everybody. He's rich in mercy to anyone who has enough faith to call out to him, God, forgive me of my sins. God, I trust in your love. God, save me. God, give me a new heart, a new mind. That's the essence of religion, a personal encounter and relationship with God. So one of the great signs of true faith is to pray. David says in the Old Testament, uh, who, who is a people like us uh, who has a God who draws near to us when we call upon him? God will save the godly and, and, and preserve the godly for himself, even everyone who calls on his name, who prays. Ian e. Bounds, B-O-U-N-D-S, the great writer on prayer, says the world is basically divided uh, into two categories, not racial, not economic. There's people who pray and people who don't. People who trust and call on God and rely on him and people who, whether they go to church or not, or curse him, they don't. In fact, the Old Testament says that one of the definitions of the ungodly is uh, 
They will not call on the name of the Lord. They don't pray. They, will, they, they don't have any personal relationship and trust in a loving God. And we have to be careful of that even in our Christian life. How do we get saved? We get saved by calling out to God and asking for mercy from our heart, out loud, quiet, however it might happen. But you can develop a prayerlessness in your own life and the church can become something that is an abomination to God. Jesus, in the most violent of any of the actions that we find him ever doing in the, in the Gospels, uh, had to do with cleansing the temple and beating the money changers who were making a buck in, in, in the temple uh, area in Jerusalem and overturning their money tables where they were changing money but at a profit so the offering could be made in the Jerusalem temple shekel. They were making a buck. They had turned it into a den of thieves. He physically built a, got a whip and drove them out and said, don't you know my house shall be called, God said, my father said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Not preaching, not even singing. But prayer, why? Ah, that brings us to my other verse, the why. Hebrews chapter 4 at the very end says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, let's just get the setting for this earlier passage now. Not Hebrews 11.6, but Hebrews 4.16. Let us then come boldly to the throne of grace. The book of Hebrews that I mentioned, we don't know who wrote it, was written with the main intent that Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus might get upset by persecution or disillusion by false teachers and go back to Judaism. So the writer is saying, no, you can't go back to something inferior in the Old Testament, an inferior covenant or agreement that God made contract with the people. We have a new, better covenant. And he proves it in the early chapters by saying, angels are mentioned in the Old Testament. The law was given to Moses, Moses through uh, the mediation of angels. But we have someone better than an angel we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, do you think Moses, now he goes, do you think Moses was a great prophet? He was. But we have someone far greater than Moses. We have the Son of the living God as our prophet, our final prophet. And the Old Testament religious system of a priest and a sacrifice and an animal sacrifice, he says, we have something better than lamb and bull and a goat to be sacrificed day after day. No, once for all, Jesus died for our sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. So we have a greater sacrifice. We have the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
But the sacrifice was brought by a priest to the altar. We have a greater priest than anyone that comes from Aaron's uh, lineage. No, we have Jesus Christ, a better priest, uh, the great high priest. He's not only sacrificed, he's the priest. And now in this context, he leads us to where I want to go and finish. He says, because of Jesus loving us and living a perfect life on earth and fulfilling the law perfectly for us, your righteousness, my righteousness can't cut it. Our behavior patterns, our meritocracy does not ever earn us anything but condemnation. No, Jesus died for us perfectly righteous and his sins were put on, our sins were put on him and his righteousness and acceptance and perfect standing with the Father has been given to us. And he knows what we're going through because he lived on earth. He was assaulted by the enemy. So we have a high priest who is sensitive to what we're going through. Stay with me now. We're coming. We're finally hitting home now. We're taking it to the house, as they say. So this high priest that we have knows what it is to be assaulted by temptation, attacked by the enemy, but without sin. Therefore, because he died for us, because he paid the ultimate price, Therefore, seeing all of that, that he went to heaven and ascended after he raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven into the very presence of God, the Father, the majesty of heaven. He did it not only to come back with a successful mission accomplished, God's love being poured out through his son, sacrifice, but he made a way in for us to follow. We couldn't come in there ourselves. I'm, I'm not worthy. Look at me. I've broken down and failed God so many times. But I can come now because of what Jesus did for me and us. Therefore, then, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help us just when we need it. Isn't this beautiful? For us believers, it's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. What happens at the throne of grace? Where is the throne of grace? The throne of grace is pictured here in heaven where God sits with total love and compassion for all of us and says, come to me so that I can give you what you need. Do you deserve it? No, but because of what my son did, I freely give it. Before you were even believers, I gave you my son. How much more will I give you what you need now that you're in my family? So the throne of grace is the place of prayer. It's the place where faith is put into action and we go and call upon God, a loving God, not a, a creator God, a father God, not just creator, not just omnipotent, but one who loves us like a child is in trouble. They run to their father, daddy, daddy, help me. 
Daddy, Daddy, help me. So the writer says, let's come boldly. We don't have to come like, don't look too close. No, we can come boldly. Why? Because Jesus has given us his righteousness. We've been cleansed. And now we can come into the presence of the Father at a throne of grace. Well, what's grace mean? Prayer is all about grace, throne of grace. God is full of grace. Grace is God doing for us what we don't deserve. That's one definition. We are saved by grace. God gives us the gift of cleansing and eternal life, not because we deserve it, but because we trust in his grace. Grace has another meaning. Grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. I'm not able to accomplish that which I need to, that which God has called me to. But he not only calls me, he gives me the grace, the strength, the equipment I need. Another meaning of grace. Grace is God's love in action. All right, undeserved merit is grace. God doing for me what I can't do for myself. God's love expressed through acts of grace. So we come to a throne of grace to receive two things, mercy and grace. Make sure you memorize this Hebrews 4.16, Chicago Tabernacle. Mercy and grace. What's mercy for? I told you grace was God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. We've sinned, we failed. Instead of judgment, God gives us mercy. Stays his hand, does not give us what we deserve, but says, no, I'll give you mercy, forgiveness, cleansing. Notice, this is not just when we get saved. Paul, the writer here is writing to Christians. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to receive first mercy. Why do we need mercy? How often do we need mercy? How about every day? How about every day? Try that one on. I've tried that one on. Uh, I need it every hour. I find that I err, I slip, I fail, I sin, I rebel, I drift. And every day we can keep coming to the Lord at the throne of grace and saying, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Mercy. I plead the merits of Jesus Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And you keep that channel open and clear between you and the Father. How often should we pray? Well, at the very least, every day, for Jesus said, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. God, at the throne of grace, gives us what we need just for the day. Very important. Listen up, Chicago Tabernacle. What we need for the day. You don't pray for what you need next this coming Christmas. No, no. Just today. Yesterday, you can't get anything from God for yesterday. It's gone. Manana, you don't know because you don't know if you'll wake up tomorrow. 
but what you need is for the day. I'm taping this for you. I need God's grace today. Yesterday, imposible. Mañana, no sé. I don't know. But today is the day the Lord has made. So we come daily like children to our heavenly Father. And the first thing we know he has promised us is mercy. He delights in mercy. He doesn't delight in pow-pow. He delights in mercy. Does he chasten those who drift and get involved in bad things that he loves? Yes, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But here the Bible is imploring us to come boldly to receive mercy. Mercy. And what else? Oh, at the throne of grace, not only mercy, but grace. What you need for that day, the wisdom, the strength, maybe healing in your heart, maybe a word of direction, you're making decisions, maybe comfort, maybe more patience with a troublesome child, maybe more love for people who are up in your face on the job, whatever it might be, healing in your marriage, Whatever it might be, God is the one who has it. But notice this. He bestows it in a response to prayer at the throne of grace. That's why, as I close, the last thing we want written on our tombstone is that verse in the book of James. God says, you have not because you ask not. I would have done it. I would have shown mercy. I would have given more grace. You never asked. You never got there. Too busy. Too type A. Running around, even coming to church, working in a church. In my experience, we've had people backslide over the history of our time, Carol and myself at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We've had head ushers, ushers, people in the choir, people involved in work. They get so busy doing that they never spend time asking and waiting at the throne of grace. Getting mercy daily, cleansing, strengthening, empowerment, healing, both physical and inside in your heart. So when we talk about seeking God, rewarder of those who diligently seek him, it's not like I thought when I was growing up, God's playing hide and seek. I'm hiding, you come seeking. I'm gonna try to avoid you. No, he's as close as the mention of his name. What father sees a child hurting and struggling and goes, you need my help? No, I'm going to run down two, three miles from here and hide in the woods. No. One last illustration, then we'll pray. A late friend of mine was a great preacher, told me he was in Texas at a house he had then. He was out in the woods, and his youngest boy was about eight or nine years old. He was working in his nice office study. The windows were open. There were screens there because the bugs in that part of Texas are so big, they, they have tattoos. And 
he was writing at his desk, and what he didn't know is that his eight, nine-year-old son was out with some friends in the woods. He had uh, acres there, and there were dense woods. And while they were out in the woods, his little boy, his son, stepped in an animal trap that no one knew was there. Blop! Grabbed it right around his ankle, just whop! And he let out a scream that could be heard, you know, a long way away. Maybe it was only 40, 50 yards away from the house, but uh, with the woods and the denseness of the brush, you couldn't see much, but the sound came. My friend told the congregation at our church years ago as he was relating this, he was writing something for a sermon, and the cry came through the windows, the screens. And he dropped his pencil, and he was moving toward the door, like instantaneous. Why? His child was in trouble, and he heard the cry. The Bible says that our Father's ear is open always to our cry. And he pointed out something very good. He said at that point, he didn't ask, has my son been doing his chores? Has he been a good boy? Has he been doing his homework? How's he doing in school? Let me check with my wife before I run after him. No, no. A father's heart, boom, I'm going. I'm going. I remember when your pastor's wife was just a little girl, our first child. A baby, she caught a, a bronchial thing. And I used to walk with her at night and hold her and hear her raspy breath. Oh, oh, terrible. So I used to lay her down in the crib and walk down the hallway. We had an apartment in Brooklyn. And I remember a couple of times I'd be dead asleep, but she'd start to... <coughs> You know, that's terrible sound when your child is young. I'd be up out of my bed going down the hallway, and I wasn't even up yet. I wasn't even fully awake, but my ear had picked up the cry. Love, I'm, I'm on the move. Then halfway down the hallway, I realized, whoa, I'm up. Where am I going? Oh, yeah, she's crying. So God's not hiding from us. He's saying, come, get what you need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your promise and your word that you love us so much. You gave your son for me, wretched me, before I ever knew you. Help the people in Chicago Tabernacle realize how much you love them. And that daily you're waiting. You're waiting. You're waiting for us to come and get what we need from your loving heart. We thank you for your power, your wisdom. But oh, do we thank you for your grace, the God of all grace. Make us men and women who call on God and receive daily what we need. Give us mercy today. Give us the grace we need. In Jesus' name, amen.